The Government Matters podcast is sponsored by Checkpoint Software Technologies and Swish Data. Stay tuned for their message on cloud security. From Washington, D.C. and around the world, this is Government Matters with Francis Rose. Thanks for watching Government Matters, the only show covering the latest news, trends, and topics that matter to the business of government. I'm your host, Francis Rose. The 2020 Action Plan for Data is officially on the street. The final version of the plan includes 20 actions the Office of Management and Budget will make agencies take in the coming year. NextGov reports the plan adds four actions to the draft plan OMB released in June. President Trump signed an executive order that confirms the 3.1% pay increase in the budget deal. Every federal employee will get a 2.6% raise. The other half percent will go to locality pay. GovExec reports the pay raise will start with the first full pay period of the new year, January 5th. The Office of Personnel Management is proposing a new rule to let agencies consider a former federal employee's new job skills and experience when they hire. Now, agencies can hire back former feds only at the same grade they held when they left federal service. FCW reports OPM wants comments on the rule by February 24th. A new year will bring new developments for your job and new wrinkles in the work that continues from this year. Tonight, you'll get a look at both, starting with our all-star panel of editors, Frank Kunkel, executive editor of NextGov, Adam Masmanian, executive editor at FCW, and Leo Shane, deputy editor of the Military Times. Welcome, gentlemen. Welcome, all-stars. Frank, start with you. What do you think the biggest story is that you're going to be covering throughout 2020? I think probably a continuation of stuff that we've been covering for the last year or so in the JEDI contract. We focused a lot on that. Um, there's two things that we'll be watching for uh, shortly. The case probably will end sometime February or March, the court case that Amazon's filed in protest against the award to Microsoft. And then regardless of what shakes out there, I think the important thing will be to see how the DOD begins to actually adopt it across the mill depths. Um, there's no mandate that they have to do that. So part of Microsoft's job will be to build something that is cheap, useful, and attracts these customers away from the stuff that they're on now. And I want to come back to that in a moment. What do you think is number one for you in the coming year, Adam? Uh, number one for me as the election heats up is a cybersecurity story watching how uh, CISA, the DHS agency, pretty new agency that's there to deal with cybersecurity, um, handles uh, the vote handles uh, campaign cybersecurity and all sorts of threats uh, to our election system. And CISA has been out there, Chris Krebs and the now departing Jeanette Manfra have been really uh, aggressive in talking about the way they're positioning CISA to really be the cybersecurity point organization for the entire civilian side of the government. Yeah, that's correct. I mean, there are different people want different things from it. It's still, there's still no cyber 911 yet but they're trying to be as uh, close as you can get to them. Number one for you in the coming year, Leo? Yeah, I'm hearing this election thing might be something that we all have to follow a little bit. This impeachment yeah. thing, too, that came up, it's really come out of nowhere. But look, th those are going to take a lot of the oxygen in the room. But the, the downside of that is we're still seeing a lot of issues with filling positions at the Pentagon, at VA. We saw five senior Pentagon folks announce their retirements or departures in just a week earlier, uh, earlier in December. So the question becomes, how are they going to fill those positions in election year when there may be a change of, of administration at the end of the year. We've already seen this administration struggle with getting, getting qualified folks in, getting candidates in. So 
as the year goes along, how are those how are those vacancies going to be filled, and is that going to have a trickle down effect with just basic operations? And adding to the complication there, the Congress, according to some of your colleagues, is already looking at killing a job that they just stood up within the last couple of years. That's the number three office, the Pentagon the Chief Management yeah, Office. Yeah, exactly. So we've got we've got that. We've got a, a Navy Secretary spot to fill. We've got a lot, you know, those, the, the higher level ones, you know, at least we'll get the attention, we'll get the focus. But, you know, we've seen the Office of Personnel and Readiness not have a permanent chief for several years now. Uh, they only had a few months where, where one was in in the entire Trump administration. So offices like that end up having to operate on their own with without real direction. Frank, the most interesting thing to me about the Jedi story as you've been covering it has been the fact that Microsoft has been very aggressive at not only working on the deal already, getting right to work inside the Pentagon, but talking about getting right to work. They've made it very clear that protests don't matter to them. Mm -hmm. They're going to start the work and they're going to roll the work out as quickly <clears throat> as possible. Their officials have already met with the top DOD officials on this. They've been pretty confident and uh, I think that, that is interesting. They seem to the, the way that Amazon's protest came out, you would think there's this litany of issues. Microsoft should be concerned. Protests do happen all the time. Perhaps this was a case where Amazon wanted to learn more, and protest was the best way that they figured they would get that through a debriefing, uh, if they didn't get what they wanted from the debriefing. Um, but Microsoft also came out and uh, confirmed that they have um, started working with secret information. So they're hosting that now temporarily. It's like a tempor temporary provision to do that. So they are moving forward quickly. Adam, on uh, CISA, the fact that the, the Department of Homeland Security has full funding, there was no shutdown, there was no, uh, no long-term problem with CRs, does that give CISA an advantage, do you think, in doing the election work that they have coming in, the, in, in 2020? I mean, certainly, I mean, it's funny to think about the government not blowing itself up as an advantage but yeah i guess <laughs> it's an advantage that that they didn't that that uh, that there's a that there's an appropriations bill in place, but a full year appropriations bill as opposed to a CR mm -hmm. um, does matter to them uh, for the reasons you stated, more money. But they're still having uh, personnel issues. You know, Jeanette Monfort has left. There's a replacement in the wing, so we'll see how that plays out. What are the, are there other personnel issues in, in that agency or any of the civilian agencies that you're tracking? One of the things that I'm tracking is there's not a, it's not a problem, but people coming in, the, uh, the uh, interagency program office between DOD and VA um, has, uh, that's what runs their their or helps to run their uh, their sixteen billion dollar joint uh, electronic health care record. Mm -hmm. They've got some pros coming in to kind of take over and try to really uh, supply some uh, brain power to the uh, uh, how they're going to work together. And, Le and that's going that staffing is going to happen in the in the coming year. Leo, I think if you hadn't chosen the uh, the vacancies at DoD, you probably would have chosen the EHR story. I imagine. Well, that's going to be a big deal. We'll see how much that progresses in the next year. VA's got a lot of issues, and yeah, this is this becomes a critical year for it. A lot of money is going in. We haven't seen, you know, a lot of questions about how DoD is implementing those. Um, these electronic medical records are going to be key to all the VA health issues down the road. Um, and we're just seeing the first full year of this new Mission Act, uh, or as the president calls it, you know, new choice for veterans. Um, you know, it'll be interesting to see what developments come this year, if they can see real progress and if they can hit some markers where they say, all right, this is on track because the, their past performance just hasn't been great. Leo, Adam, and Frank, thanks all very much for joining me. I appreciate it and best wishes for 2020. Up next, what's impacting the federal workforce in the coming year? Straight ahead on Government Matters, the year ahead for your wallet and your personnel. You're watching WJLA 24-7 News.
Welcome back. The new budget includes changes for federal employees that they've asked for for a long time. Paid family leave and a 3.1% pay increase are a couple of them. For an in-depth look at what's driving the workforce in the coming year, Jesse Burr, associate editor at Federal Times, Nicola Grisco, workforce and personnel reporter at the Federal News Network, and Emily Wilkins, congressional reporter for Bloomberg Government. Ladies, thanks all very much for coming on. Jesse, what's number one, do you think, for you in the coming year regarding the workforce? So I'm going to be really interested to track what's going on with the collective bargaining agreements. Mm -hmm. um, there's a lot of push to uh, get more control over employee flexibilities like telework and whatnot, um, and also to remove a lot of the uh, hours and whatnot that the unions themselves have. So it's going to be interesting to see how those are contested and what the rulings are and, and the minutiae of that. The, the Trump administration has been probably the most aggressive in the years that I've been covering the government at going after official time. Is that what one of the reasons that, that you think that that's important? Yeah, I think uh, there's concern amongst the unions that if they lose too much official time, they're not going to be able to fulfill their legal requirement to represent all the bargaining unit employees, mm -hmm. and then that threatens their ability to remain a union. Nicole, what do you think is going to be number one for you in the coming year? For me, it's the Office of Personnel Management and its future. I think we have a little bit of more sense of what's going on with that agency, with the provisions that were in the annual defense authorization bill with uh, the National Academy of Public Administration coming in and looking at OPM and doing a study. And with Congress, I, I think essentially saying, look, we need to just pause and, and take a step and, and really evaluate what this agency should be, what it should be in the future. So for me, that's the big one. Congress said we should take a pause and Napa should look at it. Do you mm -hmm. think they were really meaning we should dispense with this and get it over with once and for all, forget about it? I think Congress says, Anything that is in OPM statute absolutely should not move for the time being. Napa could come in and say, look, we think that retirement services and uh, health care should move to the General Services Administration. They could come back with a proposal that looks similar to what the Trump administration has suggested. I think it'll be interesting to see how the administration responds to that uh, provision in the NDAA and how they move forward. Emily, what do you think is going to be number one for you in the coming year? Well, as you pointed out, Congress uh, wound up passing the 12-week family leave so that federal workers can actually have paid time off to spend with with their new children. Um, but one thing that did not wind up getting passed was family medical leave. So long, um, federal employees, they can take time off to care for a sick, rel sick relative, but it won't be paid. Mm -hmm. And that's something that I think a lot of lawmakers still want to see happen. And it'll be interesting to see how and if they're able to continue pushing for it in 2020. The provision that got in this year is something that people have been working on for a long, long time. Yes. What do you think, from your vantage point on Capitol Hill, got it over the hump this year. Was it a bargaining chip in getting the final deal done? Or is it something that a, a, a lot of agreement has finally coalesced behind? What made that happen that might indicate what the likelihood is for the, the medical leave? I think you just saw an increasing amount of pressure from, from both sides, Republicans and Democrats, saying this is something we need. You know, America is behind other countries in the amount of paid family leave that they offer. Um, and I think there was a real sense that this was something we needed to get done and that it was something that you saw people in the Trump administration supporting. This has been a key issue for Ivanka Trump to support. And I think you finally saw everyone say, you know, this is, it's time, and it's something that we can do, particular, 
particularly for federal employees, because that's what the government has control over. They don't have to worry so much about maybe interfering in the private sector, although they are certainly hoping that now that the federal government has set this standard, that more private industries will follow. I think I know the answer for my other two panelists here, who I have on more often than I've had, a, a, unfortunately, the chances to have you, Emily. How happy were you as a reporter when the budget deal got done and it appeared that it was headed to be signed, that you wouldn't have to cover that at least until October? I think um, everyone in Washington always holds their breath. I don't think there's a single person during the holiday season who doesn't want to be around family and friends yes. and would rather be working. Uh, so I think just, just in general, you know, I'm glad that we all got to go home and, and spend the holidays with friends and family. Because for the workforce, I think that's what I would choose as the number one thing to watch, although it's not happening until October, is can we f dispense with all of the shutdown talk during the last year of the Budget Control Act? And I don't know what sense you all have of where that stands right now. Jesse? It's, I think uh, there's a lot of frustration with the cycle of things. That mm -hmm. even we, we avoided a shutdown this year, but that doesn't change anything about next year. Um, and there's a lot of concern that with political tensions as high as they are and it not looking like uh, the two parties are, are budging on some of their strongly held beliefs that the federal employees are going to end up uh, suffering because of that even as this increases and, and gets worse year over year. Um, there's some push I know um, on the union side to try to argue which employees are allowed to be considered uh, accepted um, and made to work mm -hmm. on, um, during a shutdown. So I think these are issues that even if we've avoided one will continue to be a really big deal next year. So the reason I think the shutdown is important, Nicole, is because in all of the things that got thrown into this budget deal at the last minute, none of the provisions to, uh, to prevent shutdowns from happening or anything that had been talked about wound up in that deal. So that, that possibility still exists. That's true. And I think we also saw in the NDAA and some of these other bills that made it through just at the last minute there were tiny little protections to clear up some of the issues that we had during that 35-day government shutdown. Protections for health care, for other kinds of insurance that federal employees had. We saw that, you know, snuck into some of those bills. Again, I think because lawmakers just looked at that, you know, the longest government shutdown in U.S. history and said, there's something wrong here. What's something small that we can do to address this? And that was one of them. Nicole, Emily, Jesse, thanks all very much for coming on. It's great to have you up next. Sharpening the tip of the spear in 2020. Straight ahead on Government Matters, new insights on a new National Defense Authorization Act and more you should watch in the coming year. Don't forget, if you miss an episode of Government Matters, you can find it on our website, govmatters.tv. We'll be right back. Welcome back. The Defense Department will have about $738 billion to carry out its missions in fiscal year 2020. A brand new Defense Authorization Act and funding for the rest of the fiscal year will give the department the tools it says it needs to execute the national defense strategy. Lauren Williams is staff writer for FCW. Valerie Encina is air warfare reporter for Defense News. And Sarah Sirota is associate editor for Inside the Air Force. Ladies, welcome. Thanks for coming on. Lauren, you first. What do you think the biggest thing is you're going to be covering in the coming year? The biggest thing is definitely going to be Jedi. All eyes are on Jedi. They've been that way for a while now. And now that funding has been approved to be appropriated for the Jedi contract, even though it's still being disputed by Amazon, mm -hmm. I'm excited to see what's going 
to develop there, what tools are going to be unloaded to the JEDI infrastructure and how DOD is going to go forward with that? We mentioned JEDI in the first uh, part of the program tonight. What struck me about JEDI is the fact that Microsoft moved out quickly and made sure, it it knew, made sure people knew it was moving out quickly. What do you think that says about the way that Amazon's protests may go mm -hmm. or the work that the Pentagon actually needs done? Well, I think it really kind of speaks more to what the Pentagon is, is trying to get out, is that they are going to move forward business as usual. They've been wanted to have this in place and they really, really need it. And Microsoft seems to be very much so on board with that. And I do believe in December they did have a, a rollout event. And so they just want to get it done so that the warfighter can have the new tech tools it needs. Val, what do you think is going to be number one for you in 2020? I think I know, but tell me. Uh, take a guess. Uh, Space Force. I, think I got it. <laughs> Um, so I'm, it, it's been over half a century since the U.S. created a new military service. Um, I think there's still so many questions to be answered about what the Space Force is going to look like. Are they going to have cool Star Wars uniforms? But I mean, we don't even know at this point if whether the Army or Navy are going to be folded into it. It's just this brand new baby that could grow up and be so many different things. Does that matter at this point or does it just matter that we at least know that it's happening and that for now it's going to be part of the Air Force the same way that the Marine Corps is part of the Navy? I think it definitely matters. Right now Space Force is basically Air Force Space Command with a new name. So you kind of want to see it evolve into something bigger with its own culture um, that has a little bit more muscle to it or else, you know, it's like, what's the point? Uh, Sarah, welcome. Thanks for coming on. Thanks did Val steal me. your homework? Did she take your number one story that you're going to be she following did, in 2020? <laughs> she did, very much so. No, um, for me, I'll be following nuclear modernization. Um, the Air Force is set to award a contract to develop the ground-based strategic deterrent, which is the next ICBM system. I'll be following that very closely, especially um, after what was supposed to be a competition between Boeing and Northrop Grumman for the prime contract. Uh, Boeing's withdrawal has left now a sole source negotiation uh, with Northrop Grumman expected to win the contract. Um, and that could lead to certain issues, uh, schedule delays, cost increases, we have to see. Um, so I'll be following that closely. What do we know about why Boeing said it pulled out? And what do we know about why everybody thinks Boeing actually pulled out? Yeah, so um, Boeing says it pulled out because of unfairness in the competition. Um, Northrop Grumman recently acquired Orbital ATK, which Boeing says gives it an unfair advantage in the large solid rocket motor industry. Uh, so that's really the primary reason why Boeing argues that Northrop had this unfair advantage. It says that it made uh, its concerns clear to the Air Force, but the Air Force didn't take the necessary steps that it wanted to alter the acquisition strategy. Um, and because of that, it, it withdrew. Um, so now. Yeah, now there's a sole source negotiation. We'll have to see what happens. So that's an interesting development, I think, all across the defense industrial base, and it's happening in information technology. One mm -hmm. of the complaints about the JEDI contract, Lauren, was that people thought Amazon had an unfair advantage. Some of the other technology companies, Oracle, um, expressed that on a number of protests before the, the uh, contract was even awarded. Mm -hmm. What do we think about the way the defense industrial base will look and the way consolidation or acquisitions might affect it in the way that Sarah just talked about, uh, about the, the nuclear modernization impact? What does is, what is the landscape look like for the DIB 
in 2020 in your view, Lauren? I would say, at least in my space, uh, the defense industrial base is definitely going to be scrambling, I think, a little bit because there's going to be a new cybersecurity standard um, that they're going to have to follow. And they're not quite sure yet how that's going to affect them, the bottom line, how it's going to affect um, award bids and things like that. So I definitely think um, that there will be a bit of play there. What do you see on the horizon for the dip from the aerospace perspective, Val? You know, I think it's interesting you brought up the consolidation that's happened. I think it's very interesting that we haven't seen the Pentagon uh, push back against that. They're just allowing this to happen. So um, maybe that means that leaders are not concerned. But I think if, con if consolidation were to continue, at some point it's got to raise some uh, red flags. So I guess we'll just have to see what happens. Sarah, do you see any opportunities for other organizations, companies to merge, be acquired, and so on? at the top or are we getting close enough to that with some of the things that you just mentioned that that might not be as big an issue in the coming year? Um, you know, with, I mentioned the large solid rocket motor industry. I think that's been one that a lot of people have fixated on as, as being an area of concern for consolidation. Um, other areas that I've been following um, are hypersonics and that's something that I think people will be talking about in 2020. I also think uh, counter UAS and, and small drones are other areas uh, that the Defense Department needs to and has spoken about looking at. So, so those are where I'll be looking at in 2020. Sarah, Val and Lauren, thanks all very much for coming on. It's great to have you. Thank, Thank you. you. You can stay on top of all things that matter to the business of government anytime, anywhere. Subscribe to the Government Matters podcast on Apple Podcasts, Google Play, SoundCloud, and TuneIn. Or simply tell your digital assistant to play the Government Matters podcast. For a quick fix of nonpartisan government news, follow us on Twitter. Our handle is at GovMattersTV. I'm Sharice Hanner. That's the latest from Washington. Join me weeknights at 8 and 11 on WJLA 24-7 News and Sunday mornings at 10.30 on ABC7. Stay plugged in on issues that matter to the business of government. Thanks for watching. I'm Francis Rose. The Government Matters podcast is sponsored by Checkpoint Software Technologies and Swish Data, presenting this message on cloud security. I'm Government Matters Director of Content George Jackson here again with Sean Applegate, Chief Technology Officer at Swish, and Jeremy Castleman, Cloud Security Specialist at Checkpoint. Sean, give our listeners some best practices for achieving a consistent security posture in the public cloud. Absolutely. So in public cloud, we have many different cloud providers. They have different security controls and mechanisms. To be able to control those in a single agency, we want to be able to gain visibility into your assets your inventory and your cloud environments, those different components, if you will. Using Checkpoint Dome 9, this allows us to assess and gain visibility across all of your cloud environment and their controls. It also allows us to run some quick remediations against the NIST policies to make sure you're compliant and easily report on those so you know exactly where you're at to start with. Uh, Jeremy, he touched on this a little bit, but what about regulatory compliance challenges here? What do you see as potential hurdles? Well, it is a tremendous challenge. Uh, it's at the forefront of most of the conversations we have today. Not only do you need to ensure compliance of your internal security policies, but you also have to meet those regulatory compliance standards, like Sean mentioned with NEST or PII. With Checkpoint's Dome 9 solution, we have a full inventory of your environment and how everything is configured already, so it's simple for us to go ahead and provide NIST compliance rule sets, for example, right out of the box. 
Our experts will keep those rules up to date for you, and you can simply run your assessment on your cloud platforms, and it provides you the full audit-ready report. Okay, so Sean, let's talk remediation. How should these agencies respond if they, say, fail a compliance assessment? Yeah, there's really two ways to approach that. One, take the report in Dome 9 and use the step-by-step -step directions provided, so the just-in-time education, to correct those findings. Or two, leverage the technology to do auto-remediation. So as soon as you make misconfigurations or skip something, it'll take the actions to correct that. And lastly, the tamper protection capabilities really protect your administrators and those privileged accounts so that third-party hackers can't get access to those and masquerade as them in the public cloud. So again, use the reporting, the auto-remediation, and the tamper protection to protect yourselves. Great information. Sean, Jeremy, thanks for being here. For more, head to govmatters.tv slash swish. I'm Government Matters Director of Content, George Jackson. Thanks for listening. Our daily program is produced by Sharice Hanner and Ashley Gallagher. Christy Marriott leads our technical crew. Our web editor is Andrew Wagner. Government Matters was created by George Jackson. Visit govmatters.tv for articles, videos, and more, including our first feature-length documentary, The Dawn of Generation AI. Government Matters is recorded at WJLA-TV in Washington, D.C. Copyright Sinclair Broadcast Group.